Welcome to the Urban Grace Weekly Podcast. Urban Grace is an inclusive ecumenical church in the heart of downtown Tacoma, Washington, that seeks to be a spiritual home for folks from all sorts of backgrounds. We've been committed to downtown Tacoma since 1883. And today, that looks like a vibrant worshiping community located in a bustling, historic church that functions like a community center for about 20 different arts organizations, Christian ministries, and social service organizations that use our building throughout the week. This podcast is an audio recording of our weekly sermons. You may notice that I occasionally pause for laughter that seems out of context. That's likely because our PowerPoint is showing, I don't know, the head of Jesus photoshopped onto the body of Steven Seagal or some equally cheesy joke that has to be experienced in person, which honestly is just a bad segue to say, hey, come check us out Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. at the corner of 9th and Market. And of course, there are more details at urbangrace.org. Lastly, we had some delay putting sermons online uh, throughout the fall. So this spring, we'll be mixing in some sermons that never made it online in addition to our weekly podcast. Thanks and enjoy. Will you please pray with me? Loving and gracious God, we give thanks for your presence that that fills the whole world, that fills all of our lives. Presence that sometimes feels so elusive and other times feels so powerful. We pray that we will experience that presence here today and that we may hear your word for us. Amen. So we are a week into the season of Lent, I guess like a week and a half And last week I shared that Lent is a somber season uh, where our scriptures turn to suffering and loss as we prepare for the death of Jesus. It's a pretty quick transition after the season of Epiphany, which is a celebratory season that is all about Jesus being the Messiah, but, but we're here. It's only week two, and Jesus is talking about his death. Or maybe it's actually the Pharisees that are talking about Jesus' death. When we pick up our scripture, the Pharisees come to warn Jesus to flee because Herod wants to kill him. It it would seem that the Pharisees are trying to protect Jesus. They tell him, Herod is a fox, which is true. Herod is cruel, and it sure feels like the Pharisees are being honest with Jesus, trying to protect him. But, But Jesus seems pretty unfazed by the whole thing. He explains his plans to go to Jerusalem, and then laments that that city, Jerusalem, will kill him. Jesus seems genuinely sad, but not probably for the reasons we expect. He, He appears to be less concerned about his own death. Jesus is much more concerned about not being able to protect Jerusalem. Jesus says he's like a mother hen who wants to protect her young, her chicks, from a fox who wants to kill him. 
And I got to say, that's a little bit of a strange choice by Jesus. If I were looking for an animal to protect me, I would uh, probably not go with a hen. You know, like I might go for a lion or or perhaps a shark or, or maybe even a honey badger. Because, you know, uh, honey badgers don't, they don't care about things. Um, but, but Jesus doesn't pick a honey badger. Jesus picks a chicken. And, and I'm just going to let that sit for a minute. Because before we can understand why Jesus would pick a chicken, I, I think we need to get to this last line of our scripture. Jesus ends this sort of bizarre conversation by saying that that you won't see me until the time when you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, when when I read that, my my first thought was that it was one of those sort of weird lines about the second coming that you never really know what it means. I was totally wrong. Jesus is referring to his plans for, like, the next Sunday afternoon. The next time they see Jesus, he'll be riding a donkey into Jerusalem. And the crowd will be shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus is talking about Palm Sunday. But Palm Sunday hasn't happened yet. And still, this this phrase is familiar to the Pharisees. It's a line from Psalm 118 that people would chant as like a liturgy to a person who represented God. And and there is a, a very particular time that this took place. Every year, on the Jewish holiday of Yom Kippur, the high priest would enter the innermost room of the temple called the Holy of Holies. And that high priest would offer a sacrifice. He would then come out of the Holy of Holies and the people would would shout or chant, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And on this day in particular, in in that moment, the priest would represent like how God comes to the people. Because on that day, in that moment, God didn't seek vengeance or blood because a sacrifice had been offered. that They had been atoned for their sins and the people would be blameless. So by, by using that, that one particular line, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, Jesus is not only predicting Palm Sunday, but he's sort of telling the people that he represents God. Jesus is, maybe another way to say that is Jesus is claiming that the way he acts is the way God will act. What we see in Jesus will be what we experience in God. And Jesus gives us an image of what that looks like. A mother hen. Jesus describes Herod like a fox and himself as a mother hen protecting her chicks. 
And, and again, that, that feels like a, a foolish choice for a predator. Because foxes eat hens. And, and I don't know how much y'all know about hens, but, but they're not strong. A hen is not fast. She's not elegant. She doesn't have powerful claws or sharp teeth. She'll do the fox no harm. Her only power, her only protection is her own body. As the fox advances, she will spread her wings wide and flap and expose her chest. The fox will have to kill her to get to the chicks. And the fox will kill her. But as she offers herself in loving sacrifice, her chicks will flee and be saved. Uh, a mother hen is, is not the image we expect to represent God's protective power. I think Christianity has embraced the idea that, that uh, of God's sacrificial love, but even while we do that, we hang on to the idea that God is still a powerful protector. Yes, Jesus gave up his life, but he didn't have to. Jesus had the power of the Almighty God who could have rained fire down from heaven. So when we want an animal who will sort of like represent the totality of God in Christ, we don't pick a chicken. Safe. Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. And since Aslan is good, he gives up his life for others. But he's still a a violent, he's still a lion whose power comes from the ability to kill. Aslan is still a violent animal portraying a somewhat violent god who is opting out of violence this time, deciding to lay down his life in peace this time. As the story continues, Aslan will be resurrected and unleash his violence against the enemy. <laughs> you know, as I'm preaching this, it, it does occur to me, it, this maybe isn't like the best idea to go after our most beloved Christian story. Uh, this morning, I, I was editing my friend Sarah's sermon, and as I read it, I thought, oh, she's so much smarter than me. <laughs> Because we're preaching on the same text, and she just crafted this beautiful sermon on this gentle feminine image for God. And then I went at everyone's favorite childhood story. And honestly, I mean, I loved the Chronicles of Narnia as a kid. And there's a lot I still love about it. So it feels like, this feels like an act of confession to be like, I, I don't particularly love the, the theology of the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. Can I say that? Because at its core, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe is a parable about atonement, 
or how we get right with God despite our sin. Atonement is is sort of a fancy word uh, that is often thought of as, as what happened between God and us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And we get this language from the Jewish Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, that I talked about earlier, where the high priest would, would enter into the Holy of Holies and offer a blood sacrifice uh, to appease a god who demanded blood in exchange for sin. And Reformed Judaism no longer practices sacrifice because they recognize that, that Yahweh is not a, a violent god. But particularly in the last 500 years of Christianity, we've returned to this idea that that God demanded the blood of an innocent man. And more than that in particular, the blood, that blood of the innocent man Jesus, only covers the sin of some people. Because God still desires punishment for those who've gone astray. So we sort of like fell in love with this image of God as, as a good lion who lays down his life for us, but kind of, you know, remains a violent God who can kick heathen butt. Yet in our scripture, we find Jesus quoting a psalm that's used on the Day of Atonement that implies that God came not as a powerful lion, but as a mother hen who weeps. Yeah, that's the one I want. That's the book I want to write, or I don't. I wish that C.S. Lewis had written. Because that's the image that Jesus gives us of a mother hen who weeps over the violence that threatens her children. She's an image of motherly love whose protective instinct isn't violence, it's self-sacrifice. Her manner of protection will not hurt the one who's hurting her. She has no capacity for violence. There is no violence or retribution when God comes to us as a mother hen. Here, the the one, and, and sort of like in our scripture, the one doing violence is not God, but humans who oppress and hurt one another. So the hen's sacrifice doesn't protect us from the violence of God, but the violence of one another. And what what breaks that cycle of violence is the forgiving victim who exposes the evil of violence, all while loving those that do harm to them. And, and you know, this is what Gandhi learned from Jesus. That if we do not fight back and engage our enemy in violence, if we love our enemy, it will expose the violence they're doing to us. 
the, the violence of war that destroys the aggressor and the victim. What Gandhi saw in Jesus was that nonviolence was the only path to redemption for all people. I think Gandhi saw a mother hen who offers herself for our salvation. And not just like us, the insider, but, but everyone, even the fox who attacks her. Jesus cries out, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often have I gathered, desired to gather your children together as a hen who gathers her brood under her wings. Jesus is heartbroken for the whole city. He wants to gather everyone under his wings. And that, that image takes me back to the very first line of our scriptures. The poem that begins Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the face of the waters. Except for it doesn't exactly say that the Spirit of God was moving over the face of the waters. This Hebrew poem says that God hovered over the face of the waters. And and that word hovering, to hover means to move gently, to cherish, or to brood. The the only other use of this Hebrew word comes from Deuteronomy. And it describes a mother vulture brooding over her young. I, I highlighted this too. There's even a sense of a mother fertilizing here. Because what's happening in Genesis and Deuteronomy is that the brooding mother is calling her chicks to life. When we return to our most primary image of God, we find the source of all being who calls all good things to life. That that source that's so powerful and, and so be choose to follow their mother. It's it's simply built into them. They don't believe the right things or or do the right things. They're they're just babies and they do what little ones do. Huddle close to the one who loves and protects them. And that's all there is for us to do, too. At its core, Christianity isn't about getting things right, believing the right things, doing the right things. It's it's more like waking up to the reality that we are loved, 
deeply, profoundly loved no matter what. And in some some fundamental way, we're held close by a love that transcends even death. So our task, if it even is a task, is to relax into that love, to trust it. Because when we are deeply loved, when we trust and believe that we are loved, we become free to love others, to choose forgiveness, to work with for justice, not with anger, but with tender hearts that break for the world. All there is to do is relax and trust that the wings of God hold us close. And and ultimately, this, this is going to maybe sound a little strange, but ultimately, I think that's what we do in our prayer of confession. And, and it might not like look like that, and honestly, it might not feel like that, because perhaps we were once told that confession is just one more way for us to get it right. But, but our prayers of confession really are an act of turning Turning away from our self-centeredness. Turning away from our desire for power. Turning away from our desire for vengeance. And turning to the God who hovers over us with unrelenting love. And and pretty much the next thing we're going to do in our service in just a few minutes is, is prayer, prayer of confession. But before we do that, we're going to take a few minutes to reflect. And, and as I said earlier, you have this little piece of paper in your bulletin. And we're going to ask you, as Mike comes up and plays some music for us, to reflect on that. I mean, reflect on whatever you want to, but and, and frankly, write or draw whatever you want to here. But sort of what we, we have in mind is is writing down something that we are turning from or something that we are turning to, that this, this act of confession is not about like self-flagellation, but who are we becoming? What are we turning from and what are we turning to? And then, uh, then we'll pray the offering, and you can put these in the offering baskets, and, and no one will see them. Uh, it's, it's not like a prayer request that you write on a card. We will turn this into Easter art. So that's what we're going to do right now. But, but to send us out, I thought I would read this poem by Denise Levertov, The Avowal. As swimmers dare to lie face to the sky and water bears them, as hawks rest upon air and air sustains them, so I would learn to attain free fall and float into creator spirit's deep embrace, knowing no effort earns that all-surrounding grace. Amen.